ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله so continuing with this book كن سلفيا على الجاده we reached the point where we were discussing what the intent behind the Salaf is. And so we mentioned that the Salaf, some of the scholars, they said that they are only the companions. Some of them said they are the companions and the generation after them. And some of them said they are the companions and the generation after them and the generation after them. And that is what the majority of the scholars are upon. Due to the narration of the Prophet ﷺ, خَيْرُ الْقُرُونِ الْقَرْنِ الَّذِي بَعِثْتُ فِيهِ the best of the generations is the generation that I was sent in. Then the ones who come after them, then the ones who come after them. So that is the Salaf. And like we said, not everybody who lived in those first three generations is to be considered from the Salaf. The Salaf, when we speak about the Salaf, we're referring to the Salaf al-Salih, the righteous predecessors. Meaning those from amongst the Salaf in those early generations who were upon the methodology of the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the Sahaba. And not those individuals, even though they may have lived in those first three generations, there were some who strayed away. Some of the people of innovation, some of the groups of deviation, they occurred within those first three generations. So when we talk about the Salaf, we're not talking about those types of people. Rather, when we say the Salaf, we're talking about the Salaf al-Salih, the righteous predecessors, and they are those, the companions, and those who came after them, who were sticking and clinging to the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That's why a person who calls himself Sunni, he says, I'm Sunni, as many people they do, as an association to the Sunnah. Sunni is somebody who is associating himself and ascribing himself to the Sunnah. Then similarly, it is completely correct to say Salafi, somebody who is associating himself and ascribing himself to the Salaf, the righteous Salaf who were upon the understanding of the Quran and the Sunnah in the correct manner. <clears throat> then we also mentioned the Idhar Madhabi Salaf wa Bayan Mawqifihim min Ahl al-Bid'ah. And this is roughly where we reached the issue regarding the apparentness and making open the methodology of the Salaf, in clarifying the methodology of the Salaf and explaining their position towards the people of innovation. We know, as we've mentioned now on many occasions, that our religion is built upon the two sources, the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf al-Salih, the companions and the next two generations from the righteous amongst them. If an individual attempts to add anything into that religion, make any additions, then that is something incorrect. Because the religion is complete. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ that on this day I have completed your religion for you. So the religion is complete. And it is not possible for any individual to come along now and say that I'm going to make up some new way of worshipping Allah 
or some new way of showing my love of the Prophet ﷺ, a way that was not prescribed originally in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah, a way that was not done by the companions or any of the righteous Salaf. So any individual who attempts to do that, then his action will be incorrect. Clearly, because Allah already said in the Qur'an, that the religion is complete. Al-yawma akmaltu lakum dinakum. I have completed your religion. So already the Qur'an tells you it's impossible to be able to bring anything new into it if it's already been completed. And Allah is telling you in the Qur'an it's already been completed. Then there are narrations from the Prophet ﷺ where he warned from these innovations also. These newly invented ways that the people have. These new styles of worship that they bring about. As some of the people they do. They may turn the lights off. They may sing certain types of recitations together in congregation. All different types of things that people they do. Which are not evidenced in the Quran or the Sunnah or the understanding of the Salaf at all. No narrations whatsoever that the companions would turn off the lights and they would sit together in a circle holding hands etc. Doing these types of things. Nothing is mentioned whatsoever. How can it be that the companions never used to do that at all, and yet the people now have suddenly discovered this is a good way to worship Allah? Are they claiming that they are more knowledgeable than the companions? Clearly that can't be the case. Clearly it cannot be the case. So there are narrations from the Prophet ﷺ also. For example, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا هَذَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَ رَدْ Whoever innovates anything or brings about something new into this affair of ours, into this religion of ours, فَهُوَ رَدْ Then it will be rejected, i.e. مَرْدُودٌ عَلَيْهِ Meaning that person's action will be thrown back onto him. It will not be accepted. Why? Because like we said, for an action to be accepted, for any type of worship to be accepted, then it must be based upon two pillars. Sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in doing so. Worship is not something that a person can make up himself. That's why the scholars they say, Al-ibadah tawqifiyah. Worship is something which is restricted by the Qur'an and the sunnah. You can only worship Allah in a way which has been taught to us in the Qur'an and the sunnah. It's not possible for an individual to make up his own way of worshipping Allah. So the rule when it comes to worship is, you cannot worship Allah except how the Qur'an and the Sunnah has taught you to worship Allah. Whereas when it comes to worldly things, when it comes to worldly affairs, with the worldly things, then you're allowed to do whatever you want, Unless the Qur'an and the Sunnah stops you. So it's the opposite. It's the opposites. When it's the religion, when it's worship, you're not allowed to do anything unless the Qur'an and the Sunnah tells you to do it that way. When it's the worldly things, you're allowed to do everything, whatever you want. Unless the Qur'an and the Sunnah tells you, you cannot do a particular thing. Meaning, for example, something simple to understand, the prayer. If an individual came along now, and said, at the time of Dhuhr, I've got some spare time today, I want to get extra reward, so instead of praying four raka'at for Dhuhr, I'll pray six raka'at for Dhuhr, get extra reward. 
Would his action be accepted? Clearly not. His prayer would be wrong. That addition of his would be false. Because it is not evidenced in the Quran and the Sunnah. You can only worship Allah in the manner which we have seen and witnessed and found the evidence for in the Quran and the Sunnah. So that wouldn't be allowed. But with worldly things you can do what you want. Unless the Quran and the Sunnah prevents you. So somebody's buying a car. You can buy a silver car if you want. You can buy a red car if you want. Nobody's going to say to you, if you say, I'm going to pick the silver one, where's your evidence in the Quran and the Sunnah, you can only buy silver cars. Nobody can say that. It's a worldly affair. Pick a silver one, pick a red one, pick a pink one if you want. Even though that would be against the honor of an individual to be driving a pink car. But in any case, you can pick a silver one, you can pick a red one, you can pick a black one, a white one. There's no harm in that. You can, nobody can say to you, you've picked the white car, but why did you pick white? Why did you leave the silver one and the red one? Where's the evidence that you have to pick white? No one can say that. This is a worldly affair. You want to pick the white car, pick the white car. But with the religious affairs of worship, it's not like that. You can't just do whatever you want. With religious affairs, with worship, you can only worship if you have evidence. So that's the difference. And here now, an individual who tries to therefore invent some other types of evidences or invent some other types of worship which are not evidenced in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then it's not accepted. So that narration we've seen from Aisha radiallahu anha, مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا هَذَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَ Whoever innovates anything into our religion, into our affair, then it will be rejected upon him. And in one narration, مَنْ عَمِلَ عَمَلًا لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ أَمْرُنَا فَهُوَ And whoever does an action from amongst the actions that are not from what we have legislated, then it will be rejected also. You have the hadith similarly, where the Prophet said, عَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلِفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِينَ مِنْ بَعْدِ تَمَسَّكُوا بِهَا وَعَضُّوا عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِفِ وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ The Prophet said, Upon you is to cling to my sunnah, and the sunnah of the Khulafa' al-Rashidin, the great companions who came after him. Then stick and cling on to it, and bite on to it with your mawlatif. وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ and be warned from the newly invented matters, the newly invented ways people attempt to worship Allah in. فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ Because all of these new invented things, these new styles of worship, all of them are bid'ah. They're all innovations. وَكُلُّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ And every innovation is, in the, is a misguidance. Every innovation is misguidance. Similarly, there's one narration where the Prophet ﷺ said that this nation that this nation it will split up into 73 sects all of them are in the fire except one. So they said to the Prophet ﷺ منهم, who are they? Who is this saved sect? So the Prophet ﷺ said to them ما أنا عليه اليوم that which I am upon today and my companions, i.e. their methodology as it was. And that is something which is established in the Qur'an even further, that it is only permissible for us to worship Allah in the manner which we find the evidence clear and direct in the Qur'an and the Sunnah without any doubt, without any people coming and making up narrations or using false narrations or fabricated narrations, and they are found. They are fabricated narrations, made up hadith, where some of the people, they used to make them up. There is one hadith, 
that the scholars they mention, which is made up, and it says, Sayati Rajulun. There's going to come, they claim, they claim that the Prophet said, A man is going to come, Adarru ala ummati, he's going to be more harmful to my nation, min iblis, than shaitan himself. There's going to be a man who comes, a human, a man who comes, he's going to be more harmful to my people than shaitan himself. Wasmuhu Muhammad ibn Idris. And his name is going to be Muhammad, the son of Idris. So who's Muhammad, the son of Idris? Al-Imam Shafi'i. This was some of the Hanafis in the olden times, they invented this hadith. To try to support their own madhab and to refute the Shafi'i madhab. So they made up this hadith, some of them. That the Prophet said, there's going to come a man, he's going to be more harmful to the people than Shaitan himself. His name is going to be Muhammad ibn Idris. And Imam Shafi'i, what's his name? Muhammad ibn Idris, there you go. So they made, made up this hadith, they fabricated it. And there are other examples where some of the people they used to fabricate hadith. Sometimes they might think they have good intentions, but that's still not a justification. There's one narration where it was mentioned that there's a hadith about the virtues of the Qur'an and about reciting the Qur'an. So when one particular individual heard this hadith, he wanted to find out where this hadith came from, which companion, from how, who, what's the chain of narration. So he asked the person he heard it from, who did you hear it from? He said, I heard this hadith from such and such who lives in some other place in Iraq. He went to Iraq. He said, who did you hear this hadith from? He said, I heard it from some other person who lives in Basra. He went there. He said, I heard it from some other person who lives in Wasit. He went there. I heard from some other person who lives in such and such a place. So he went from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And when he finally got to that last one, he said, everybody has directed me to you. This particular hadith about the virtues of the Qur'an, and the one who recites it gets this and gets that. Where did you hear it from? He said, the final man in the chain of narration, he said, to be honest, and he wasn't the companion, obviously, one of the other people. He said, to be honest, I never heard this hadith from anyone. I never really heard it from any of the companions or anything. But the problem was, people weren't reading the Qur'an enough. So I decided to make up a hadith to encourage them to read the Qur'an. So I said to them, whoever reads the Qur'an, there's a hadith, you'll get this reward, that reward. So maybe they thought sometimes their intentions were good, but clearly it was an incorrect act to make up a hadith and claim this is from the sunnah. So this exists, these fabricated narrations. And a lot of these people, when they do these other types of worship, when they do these other types of ibadah as they claim, and in reality they are innovations, often you find them relying upon these types of fabricated narrations, or very weak narrations that you cannot use as evidence. Often that's what you find. Because they will say to you, we have evidence, we have hadith. This action that we do is permissible, we have a hadith. This action that we do, that action that we do, there are narrations. And maybe there are. Maybe they'll find you some narration somewhere. But when you look into it in detail, that narration will be so weak, you cannot even use it as an evidence. Or it might even be fabricated. And yet they don't know. Their scholars, their people, they consider these narrations to be okay, and they approve of them, and they go and do their worship upon these. And so they fall into bid'ah by using these weak and fabricated narrations. So here we understand the severity of innovation. Even to the extent that it's mentioned on the Day of Judgment, the pond of the Prophet ﷺ. The pond of the Prophet ﷺ, where it's mentioned, the cups around the pond will be so many in number, 
that they be greater than the number of stars in the sky. And the actual uh, liquid in the pond, it will be whiter than milk, it will be uh, sweeter than honey, its fragrance will be better than musk. All of these descriptions given about this pond, but there are certain types of people who will be shunned away. They will be thrown away from this pond and not allowed to come near it. One of those people is the innovators, the people of Bid'ah. They will be shunned away. So the issue of innovation is something severe. That's why the scholars, they mention that the shaitan, he loves innovation more than he loves sinning. He loves people to innovate more than he loves people to sin. Because when a person commits a sin, he drinks alcohol for example. He knows he's doing something haram. He knows when he goes and drinks alcohol, he's doing something haram. So as long as he knows that it's haram, there's a possibility that one day, eventually, he might fear enough to repent and seek forgiveness from that act. Because he knows it's wrong. He might one day have enough sincerity to seek forgiveness and repent. But when somebody does an innovation, they go and celebrate the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ, and they have street parties, and they make the food and they distribute it. If you say to any of them, repent and seek forgiveness, they're going to say you're crazy. Repent and seek forgiveness for what? This is our love of the Prophet ﷺ. This is our ibadah, worship to Allah, by showing and demonstrating our sticking to the religion and our love for the Messenger of Allah. Repent for what? Seek forgiveness for what? So that's why the shaitan loves innovation more. When a person does innovation, he actually thinks he's doing worship. He actually thinks he's doing something which is beloved to Allah. So he is going to find it very difficult to accept that this is a mistake and he needs to seek forgiveness. Whereas somebody who does something haram, a sin, he knows it's wrong. He drinks alcohol, he steals, he knows it's wrong. When you tell him, maybe he might understand and listen and seek uh, forgiveness. So the issue of innovation is something extremely severe. And that's why here now in this particular chapter, the Shaykh explains the position, the stance Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah used to take towards innovation. And that is a stance which is a severe stance against it. A severe stance to keep yourself away from these innovations. Keep yourself away from those deviated sects. Keep yourself away from these newly invented matters. So we mentioned some of these last time. The statement of Imam Ahmad, أصول السنة عندنا التمسك بما كان عليه أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه والاقتداء بهم وترك البدع. Imam Ahmad from those early times he mentioned that from the usul of the Sunnah, from the foundations of the Sunnah, is that you cling on to that which the companions were upon. And you follow them in that, وَتَرْكِ bid'ah, And you abandon innovation. Straight away, clear cut. Abandon innovation and stay well away from it. That's Imam Ahmed from centuries ago. Similarly, we mentioned some of the statements of uh, Al-Hafid ibn Kathir last time regarding the ayah, ثُمَّ stawa عَلَى الْأَرْشِ And some of the other narrations of the Salaf regarding this issue of innovation and the severity of it, and the importance of staying away from it. So it's an affair which is of extreme importance. It's mentioned from Yahya ibn Sa'id, that Abu Bakr ibn al-Khallad, he came to visit Yahya ibn Sa'id when he was on his deathbed. So Yahya ibn Sa'id said to him, what have you left the people saying in Basra? The people of Basra, what are they saying about me? 
He said to him, well, they say good things about you. They say good things about you. However, they fear upon you. They fear upon you. They're scared for you. Because you used to speak about people so much. He used to refute this innovator, refute that innovator, refute this person, that person, this one narrating the hadith wrong, that one narrating the hadith wrong. He used to refute the people so much that they're afraid for you that you might get punished for this. So Yahya ibn Sa'id said, he said, listen to me carefully. Or rather he said, memorize this from me. He said, memorize what I'm about to say. He said, I would rather have one of the common people as my enemy on the day of judgment. If these people are saying that they are, they've got a problem with me because I used to narrate, uh, I used to speak about the people and who to take from and who not to take from. And they've got a problem with that, I'm okay. To have one of these common people as my enemy on the day of judgment, I can deal with that. But I would not want to remain silent upon the people of innovation and these ones who are narrating the narrations incorrectly, etc. To be silent upon that, and then on the day of judgment, have the Prophet ﷺ say to me, you knew that this was incorrect, or you knew that this was not a correct narration, and yet you were silent upon it. Why? He said, I would rather have the people having a problem with me, rather than on the day of judgment, facing a problem from the Prophet ﷺ on this issue. So that's the severity and the importance of this innovation, to warn against it, to stay away from it, and to make sure that you don't fall into it. Then after that, the Shaykh is now going to explain a little bit further the reasons behind the permissibility of calling yourself Salafi and associating yourself to the methodology of the Salaf. So the Shaykh says, من المعروف أن الدعوة إلى اتباع السلف أو الدعوة إلى السلفية إنما هي دعوة إلى الإسلام الحق. That no doubt, calling to the methodology of the Salaf and following the methodology of the Salaf and Salafiyya, all of that is calling to the reality of Islam. Salafiyya isn't something outside of Islam or different to Islam. Salafiyya is Islam. The actual and correct and proper authentic Islam. وَإِلَى السُنَّةِ الْمَحْضَةِ and this Salafiyyah, when we say cling to the methodology of the Salaf, then it is clinging to the pure Sunnah, the absolute pure Sunnah. وَدَعْوَى إِلَى الْعَوْدَى إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ كَمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ وَتَلَقَّاهُ عَنْهُ أَصْحَابُهُ الْكِرَامِ رِضْوَانُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِمْ فَلَا شَكَّ أَنَّ هَذِهِ الدَّعْوَةَ دَعْوَةُ حَقٍّ وَالْإِنْتِسَابُ إلَيْهَا حَقٍّ. And this Dawa Salafiyyah, what we teach the people. Then this da'wah salafiyya, what the Prophet ﷺ taught, what the companions they taught, what the great scholars they taught, and what is taught to our day, then it is a teaching which teaches the people to return back to their religion good and proper, to return back to the religion in its correct understanding, in its correct implementation, just as it was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, and just as the companions radiallahu anhum received that knowledge from the Prophet so no doubt this da'wah it is a da'wah of truthfulness and it is a da'wah which is correct and therefore associating yourself to that is completely correct وَقَدْ كَانَ لِأَيْمَةِ الْإِسْلَامِ مِنْ أَهْلِ سُنَّةِ الْأَثَرَ الْكَبِيرِ فِي الدَّعْوَةِ إِلَى سُنَّةِ وَالْعَوْدَةِ إِلَى طَرِيقَةِ السَّلَفُ وَمَنْهَجِهِمْ وَالْإِقْتِدَاءِ بِهِمْ and the great scholars the Shaykh says they had a big role to play in bringing back the people to that authentic sunnah, to the correct methodology, the methodology of the salaf. The likes of, he mentioned some names now, Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Al-Imam Abu Bakr Muhammad ibn Ishaq ibn Khuzayma, another one of the great scholars, Al-Imam Abu Bakr Muhammad ibn Hussein al-Ajurri, another great scholar, 
Al-Imam Ibn Batta, Al-Ukbari, another great scholar. Al-Imam Abu Al-Qasim, Al-Asbahani, from amongst the scholars. And these are the earlier scholars. Then also after them came the likes of Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah and his students Ibn Al-Qayyim. And after that, Shaykh Al-Islam Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahhab. And in our time now, the scholars that are alive and they teach and they write the books and they educate the people. The likes of Shaykh Salih Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala. The likes of Shaykh Ali Nasr Al-Faqih, who wrote the introduction to this book also. The likes of Shaykh Ubaid Al-Jabri, Shaykh Salih Al-Sahimi, Shaykh Zayd Al-Madkhri, Shaykh Rabi'a bin Hadi. Many scholars, they're alive now, they're upon that methodology of the Salaf and they're teaching that methodology. Therefore, if a person understands that, he understands that this is the correct methodology, that is the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and the understanding of the companions. Then a person will realize that there is no harm, and there is no issue in associating yourself to that methodology. That is the pure methodology. That's why Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, لَا عَيْبَ عَلَى مَنْ أَظْهَرَ مَذْهَبِ السَّلَفِ وَانْتَسَبَ إِلَيْهِ وَاعْتَزَّ إِلَيْهِ بَلْ يَجِبُ قَبُولَ ذَلِكَ مِنْهُ فَإِنَّ مَذْهَبَ السَّلَفِ لَا يَكُنُ إِلَّا حَقَّا That's in Majmu' al-Fatawa, volume 4, 149. Shaykh al-Islam says there is no, there's no harm, there's no issue, there's no deficiency, there's no criticism upon the one who makes apparent the methodology of the Salaf on himself. And he associates himself to it and he ascribes himself to it. Rather, somebody does that, you must accept it from him. And the methodology of the Salaf, indeed, it is nothing other than truth. So an individual who associates himself to that, then that is correct and that is good and it must be accepted from him. Shaykh Salih al-Fawzal mentioned some speech regarding this too. He said, of course, it is correct to term yourself as Salafi, meaning that you are following the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the understanding of those first early generations who the Prophet ﷺ praised. He said, that's good and correct. But he said that an individual, if he is calling himself Salafi, but his actions and his aqidah and his manhaj are not actually upon that methodology, then that is just a mere term or a name he's giving himself. The reality of that Salafiyyah is that you give, if you are associating yourself to that and attributing yourself to that, that you then implement that properly and accurately and learn it. Learn it and implement it and Practice it properly and accurately. And that is uh, the truthful nature of this term. Also, we can see that the scholars of the past, they used to use this term. So you have, for example, Al-Imam Al-Sam'ani, one of the great scholars in his book Al-Ansab. Volume 3, page 273. He says, as السلفي بفتح السين واللام وفي آخرها الفاء هذه النسبة إلى السلف This is an association to the salaf السلفي هذه النسبة إلى السلف This is an association to the salaf So that's Ibn Al-Athir uh, Sorry, Al-Sam'ani Ibn Al-Athir mentioned after that statement He says وَعُرِفَ بِهِ جَمَاعَةً And there are a group who are known upon that methodology the Salafiyun, they are known upon that methodology. Al-Hafidh, or Al-Imam Al-Dhahabi, Al-Imam Al-Dhahabi, one of the scholars, one of the students of Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, 
He mentioned in his book, Seer A'lam Al-Nubala, the biographies of the great shining lights, the great scholars of history. He mentioned in that book, فَالَّذِي يَحْتَاجُ إِلَيْهِ أَنْ يَكُونَ تَقِيًّا دَكِيًّا سَلَفِيًّا He says, a hafiz, somebody who's a scholar, an imam, a hafiz, what he requires and what he needs is that he needs to be taqiyan, he needs to be pious, have piety to be a hafiz, to be a, an imam, a scholar. Also, dhakiyan, he needs to be intelligent. He needs to be intelligent. And they mention a story about the intelligence of the scholars. They say that there was a scholar who some of the atheists, they requested a sitting with him. Some of the atheists, they wanted a debate with this particular scholar. So the scholar agreed. They agreed to a particular time. That time, on that day, it came and it went. And the atheists were waiting. And the scholar didn't turn up. He was late and he was late and he was late. And after a very long delay, he finally came. Then when he came, the atheists said to him, we had agreed a particular time, etc. for this debate, why are you late? He said... I was out on the ocean, just prior to coming to this meeting, I was out on the ocean in my small ship or my small boat. I was out on the ocean on the sea. Then as I was out there, this big hurricane came, this big storm came, and it blew my ship across and it took me off the ship and I was thrown into the sea and the ship was blown away uh, into pieces. But then he said, the storm and the hurricane the winds that were blowing around, and remember now he's in the ocean, he says, I was in the sea and I'm not very good at swimming, but the storm was flying around everywhere, and the wind was flying around everywhere, and the nearby shore, the branches, they flew off the trees, they broke off with the wind and the storm, and they broke off the trees, all these branches and things, they broke off the, the trees, and they were thrown into the ocean, and just coincidentally, you know, coincidentally, when these branches came off, the trees with the wind, and they got thrown into the ocean, they fell together in the shape of a little boat. Just coincidentally, they all fell together, the branches one on top of the next, and they made a little boat. So then I got onto that, and eventually got back to shore, and then I came here now, and that's why I'm late. The atheists, they said to him, are you being ridiculous? The branches were thrown off the trees, broken from the trees with the storm, that's believable. They were thrown away by the winds into the ocean, that's believable. But they coincidentally were thrown together just in the right way, coming together and interlocking to make a boat. He said, they said to him, do you expect us to believe that? Just by themselves, in the wind, the branches fell together in the ocean, all of them coincidentally, one location together, and coincidentally, they all interlocked and fell into place. Coincidentally, they were all the same length and everything, and they made a boat. So are you ridiculous? you expect us to believe that? So then he said to them, well, if you can't believe that, you can't believe that this boat could have been made by itself, a small boat. A small boat couldn't be made by itself from a few branches. You don't believe me that the wind could break the branches and make a small boat. Now how do you believe as atheists that the whole of this creation, everything in the world, the heavens, the stars, the moon that you see, was created without a creator? So then, already, they had lost the debate even before they started. He had used that example that intelligence of his, to show them the falseness of their belief. He said, now you've just told me how ridiculous it is to say that the branches fell off just in the wind coincidentally made a boat. 
then how ridiculous is your statement as atheists that the whole of this creation, everything just coincidentally fell together and made everything that we see. And so this was an example that some of the uh, people mentioned with regards to the intelligence of the scholars. So Imam al-Dahabi said, a scholar, he needs to be intelligent, he needs to be pious, but the point being here, he said he also needs to be salafiyan. And he used the word salafi. Because people, they say, this word salafi, salafi, people have made it up now. Some of these uh, individuals, I believe even that one who spoke about the Qur'an recently, Yusuf Estes, I believe even he was saying that this was Shaykh al-Albani who made it up. Or that Shaykh al-Albani made a mistake or something, making this name up or something along those lines. The reality is, Imam al-Dhahabi is using that, and he lived hundreds of years ago. And he's using the word Salafi, exactly as that. Al-Imam al-Sam'ani used that word, exactly as that. So these are terms that are known, and they are old, and it is nothing new. Al-Imam al-Daraqutni, from the earlier scholars also, similarly said, Balkana Salafiyan, rather he was Salafi, he used the word Salafi again. So this is a term which is known from the olden times. From the scholars that have come by from previous times, and it is not something new or invented or contrived by the likes of Shaykh al-Albani or anyone else. Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala, one of the great scholars, but he didn't make this bid'ah of Salafiyyah or this name Salafi. Rather, that is something as we have now shown, the association and the ascription to the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the understanding of those righteous Salaf. And this is something that the scholars they knew throughout time. And they mentioned this word Salafi in their books. Uh, Al-Shaykh bin Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, was asked, مَا تَقُولُ فِي مَنْ تَسَمَّى بِالسَّلَفِي وَالْأَثَرِيبِ What do you say if somebody calls himself Salafi or Athari? Salafi or Athari. So the Shaykh says, إِذَا كَانَ صَادِقًا أَنَّهُ أَثَرِيٌّ أَوْ سَلَفِيٌّ لَا بَأْسٍ if that person is being truthful when he says I'm Salafi or Athari, meaning he genuinely is learning the methodology of the Salaf, the methodology of the Athar, the narrations, and clinging and sticking to that correct methodology and practicing it, then there's no problem. La bas. So there's no issue in that. Mithlu kana Salaf he says, just like the Salaf they used to say, just like the Salaf they used to say, Fulanun Salafi, such and such is Salafi. Fulanun athari. Such and such is athari. And he said, this isn't really like a self-recommendation. A part of this, when you say salafi and athari, it could be understood that a part of that is like a recommendation for yourself, that I am upon the methodology of the salaf. But that is a type of recommendation that you can't help. You have to distinguish that you are upon that correct methodology, and that's what you're striving to be upon. So there is no harm and it cannot be used as an excuse. This is a recommendation for myself. I am Salafi, Salafi. That is not the case. A person, the Shaykh says, Shaykh bin Bas, if you are truthful in your claim and you are learning that and practicing it, then there is no harm in that whatsoever. Uh, Al-Shaykh Salih Al-Fawzan was asked, What is Salafiyyah? Ma hiya Salafiyyah? Wa hal yajibu suluka man hajiha wa tamassuku biha? And is it obligatory to tread upon that methodology and to cling on to it? He says, As-Salafiyyah hiya sayru ala manhaj salafi min as-sahabati wa tabi'een wal-qurun al-mufaddala fi al-aqidati wal-fahmi wal-suluk wa yajibu ala al-muslimi suluka hadha al-manhaj. He says, Salafiyyah is to tread upon the methodology of the Salaf 
from the companions and those who came after them and those righteous, virtuous generations in aqidah, in understanding, in your uh, methodology, in your treading upon that way, in your morals, mannerisms. And it is obligatory upon a Muslim to tread upon that methodology. That is Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala. And similarly, the Shaykh says, Shaykh Ali Nasr al-Faqihi has mentioned similar speech and many of the scholars. And there is no harm in that. Despite some of the people now, they come and they say to you, don't say this, don't use that term, don't use this term. You'll, you'll scare the people, you'll do this, you'll do that. But rather, this is an association to the correct methodology. So the Shaykh says, all these virtuous scholars, they don't see any problem in calling yourself Salafi or ascribing yourself to Salafiyyah because that is going upon that correct methodology. Then, the next bit the Shaykh mentions, ذِكْرُ بَعْدِ الْأَدِلَّةِ الصَّالِحِ Some of the evidence which indicate the obligation of following the methodology of the Salaf and sticking to their methodology. قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَاتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيَّ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and follow the path of those who have returned to me, those who return their affairs to me, are the righteous ones. فَقَدْ أَمَرَنَا اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ بِاتِّبَاعِ سَبِيلِ أَصْحَابِ رَسُولِ And they are, no doubt, the companions of the Prophet So in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us to follow their methodology and their pathway. وَاقْتِفَاءِ أَثَرِهِمْ وَصُلُوكِ مَنْهَجِهِمْ And to follow their footsteps and to follow their guidance in their methodology. Also, أخبرنا الله سبحانه وتعالى عن رضاه عمن اتبعهم بإحسان وعد لهم ثواب العظيم Also Allah سبحانه وتعالى has told us that he is pleased with those who follow their methodology The ones who follow the methodology of the companions are those who came after them والسابقون الأولون من المهاجرين والأنصار والذين اتبعوهم بإحسان رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه وعد لهم جنات تجري تحتها الأنهار خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ Surah At-Tawbah, Ayah 100. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those early ones, asabiquna al-awwaloon, from the muhajireen and the ansar. Muhajireen, those who came from Mecca, went to Medina, and the ansar who were the people of Medina. وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ And those who then followed in their footsteps afterwards, after them, بِإِحْسَانٍ upon goodness and righteousness, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ Then Allah is pleased with them, وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ And they are pleased with him. And Allah has prepared for them paradise under which rivers flow. They will remain therein forever. And that is the great success. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised the believers who follow that methodology and that pathway. Whereas at the same time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has warned those who oppose that methodology with the hellfire. Then also, in the narration, the Prophet said, فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ يَعِشْ مِنْكُمْ فَصَيْرَا اِخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ يَعِشْ مِنْكُمْ فَصَيْرَا اِخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا Those who live after me a lengthy time, who live later, then you will see much differing. فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ وَسُنَّةِ خُلِفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ Then upon you is to stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafa'i Rashidin. Similarly, Ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu said, اِتَّبِعُوا وَلَا تَبْتَدِعُوا فَقَدْ كُفِيتُمْ He said, and it's very 
succinct and to the point. He said, Ittabi'u, follow. Follow, i.e. the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the methodology of the Salaf. Stick to that and follow that. Follow that. Wala tabtadi'u. And don't innovate anything yourselves. Faqad kufitu. Because indeed, you have already been given that which is sufficient for you. In the methodology of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the Salaf, is sufficiency for you. Learn all of that and implement that, and that is more than enough for you. There is no need for you to invent your own ways and to invent new types of methodologies or worship. Similarly, he used to say, We follow and we don't innovate. And he used to say, We will not go astray as long as we stick to those narrations. Stick to the clear evidences that are authentic. Al-Imam Al-Awza'i, he said, Isbir nafsaka ala sunnah, waqif haythu waqaf al-qawm. Make yourself patient upon the sunnah. The sunnah, what it tells you, what's halal, what's haram, what's correct, what's false, stick to that and make yourself patient upon sticking to that. Allow yourself to be patient in restricting yourself to the sunnah, and stop where they stopped, where the companions stopped, then stop at where they stopped. Don't go beyond them. Don't try to do anything yourselves and bring new things. Stop where the companions they stopped. وَقُلْ بِمَا قَالُوا And say what they used to say. And stop and block yourself and restrict yourself from that which they used to block themselves from and restrict themselves from. وَاسْلُكْ سَبِيلَ سَلَفِكَ الصَّالِحِ And tread upon the methodology of the righteous predecessors. فَإِنَّهُ يَسَعُكَ مَا وَسَعَهُمْ Because indeed... It is sufficient for you and it is uh, comprehensive enough for you that which was for them. What was suitable for them and enough for them is enough for you. So that is some of the advice of the great scholars. Uh, also, Al Imam Al Awza'i said, Alayka bi athar min salaf. Wa in nas. Upon you is to stick to the narrations of the salaf even if the people they reject you. Wa iyaka wa ara'il rijal. And be warned from the opinions of men. Be warned from the people telling you this is what you should do and that's what you should do. From their own opinions, their own intellects, their own uh, logic. This religion is not based upon logic. That's why Ali ibn Abi Talib said, If the religion was based upon intellect or opinion, then wiping on the bottom of the leather socks would be more logical than wiping over the top. When you wear your socks, you can wipe on them for the wudu. But which side would be more logical to wipe on? The bottom side, where you walk and the dust comes onto it. But the sunnah is wipe on the top side. So he said, if our religion was on intellect and logic, we would have thought, wipe on the bottom side. But it's not. It's upon the evidence, and that says wipe on the top side, so we wipe on the top side. It's like the narration of Umar ibn Khattab, where he said to the black stone, when he kissed the black stone, he said, I know that you are just a stone, you cannot harm, and you cannot give any uh, good. You can't benefit me, you can't harm me, you're a stone, the black stone. If I had not seen the Prophet kissing you, I wouldn't have kissed you. Meaning I'm only doing it because this is worship and ibadah. This is what the sunnah tells us to do, to kiss the black stone, in the umrah, in the hajj, in the tawaf, etc., but now I'm only doing that because it's a sunnah. Not because I believe that you, the black stone, are going to help me or give me good and benefit and harm. None of that. This is the sunnah and that's why we're doing it. So this is 
uh, what the scholars they always advised. And the Shaykh says, these scholars they continue to be upon that generation after generation. ما زال العلماء من أئمة سنة جيلا بعد جيل يدعون إلى اتباع السلف الصالح. Generation after generation, they all called to the sticking and clinging and following the methodology of the salaf. All of that sticking to it and following their narrations and clinging onto their methodology. We'll conclude upon that point for now. And next time we'll start with the methodology of the salaf in understanding aqidah. The aqidah of a Muslim. What is the aqidah that is the correct aqidah? Who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What are the names and attributes of Allah? All the different aspects of aqidah. The Prophet ﷺ, was he made out of light or not? Clearly he was not. All of these types of things, inshallah, we'll discuss next time the methodology of the salaf in aqidah. Inshallah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu a lot of the scholars say that narration is weak anyway about the 20 a lot of the scholars say it's weak but that isn't a, a major issue because those types of fiqh issues like the taraweeh one the scholars in the books of fiqh, they say there are 44, 44 different opinions how many taraweeh you should pray. Not just two, eight and twenty. Forty-four different opinions if you read the books of fiqh. So those types of fiqh issues, it's not something which is, uh, it's not like aqidah. Next week we're going to discuss the fundamental, the basics of this religion, the foundation of the religion, the aqidah. Fiqh issues are a bit different. Because fiqh issues, there can be some leniency in them. It's possible, it's okay. Like the, the famous thing about Do you put your hands back on your uh, chest When you come out of the ruku' Or do you leave them by, down by your side For example These types of issues There's some leeway in them And you're not going to start saying Well if you take the opinion You put it on your hands You're a mubtadi' And if you take the opinion You put it on your mubtadi' No one's going to say that So with those types of issues There is more leeway anyway And it's not the same as Fundamental issues of the religion The aqidah And those types of things But some people Some of the scholars say That's weak anyway about the 20. Uh, and even if it is the case, then it's mentioned that this was something uh, that Umar ibn Khattab, that when he gathered the people, he was reviving the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in uh, gathering them. But the 20, some of the scholars, they say it's weak anyway. But uh, generally speaking, if a person was to pray more than 8, then it's an opinion that some of the scholars, they do mention. You can pray more than 8. Some of the scholars mention that. Shaykh Fawzan himself. Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Allah, takes the opinion that it is permissible to pray more than 8. But he doesn't give a limit. He doesn't say it has to be 20. Anything more than 8. 15, 17, 19, 23, 25. Anything more than 8. It's permissible, he says. Because of various evidences, there are some narrations about how the ban came to the Prophet ﷺ and he asked him, how do I pray the taraweeh? And so the Prophet ﷺ said to him, mathna, mathna, in twos. Two, 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 two. And he didn't say to him, stop after 8. It just said to him, two, 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 like that. So some of the scholars said that therefore indicates you can carry on as much as you want. Pray 20, 30, 40, whatever you want, two, 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 two. But other scholars have mentioned, no, that is not the case. And there are evidences like the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, that the Prophet would never pray more than 11, or in some narrations 13, if you include uh, uh, the, uh, 
the Witr of the Isha, etc. So uh, that's an issue which there's leeway anyway with the, with the scholars. The Bleedy Jamaat say that, um, that they follow the way of the Salaf, meaning that um, they say that uh, the Dawah is based upon <coughs> the Dawah of the companions. And uh, I mean, they the, the, um, say that they should, should read their books, the Bleedy Jamaat, which is their Fazali Amar. In their books, Fazali Amar, and these kinds of books that they have. It's impossible for them to say that they are following the methodology of the Salaf. In those types of books, they have all types of stories in there which are complete and utter nonsense. In some of their books, some of these <coughs> Sufi books that they look up to, Jamaat Tabligh is essentially one of the offshoots from the Sufi methodology. Some of their books that they have, they mention one story about uh, one of the big Sufi Imams. They say he was giving a lesson. This big Imam, he was giving a lesson, and the angel of death came and took one of the students. One of the students died in the lesson. So they say this big Sufi Imam, he got angry. And he flew up, chased after the angel of death. And he caught up to him. And the angel of death, they say, was carrying a sack with the souls that he had collected. So he chased up to him and he said, what are you doing? I was doing my lesson. How can you kill my student in the lesson? Let me finish my lesson. So then he said, he took the soul back and gave it to the student and finished his lesson. These are the types of stories they have in their books the types of books that these people rely on, the types of books these people refer to and praise, and then they say we're following the methodology of the Salaf. They have another narration, they say there was a great poet, a great poet, and he wrote some beautiful poetry about the Prophet ﷺ, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. 100 years, 200 years, few hundred years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a great poet, and he wrote some poetry which was beautiful. And this poet, he used to live outside of Medina somewhere. On one occasion, after he had written this beautiful poetry, he came to Medina. And he went to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. So they say, the Prophet ﷺ came out of the grave and said to this poet, that I am aware of this great poetry you wrote about me. So now that you've come here, I had to come out of the grave to shake your hand and to, uh, to demonstrate my gratitude and to welcome you regarding this poetry. These are the types of narrations they have. They have another one, they say there was a, a Sufi Imam and some of his followers, some of the murids as they say, some of these followers, they were out on the ocean somewhere and some trouble happened and the ship was sinking. So they started to call upon their Sufi Imam. Ya such and such, ya such, whatever his name was, they started calling upon him. So he heard, even though he was wherever he was, thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles away on the shore, he heard the dua. So they say the Sufi Imam, he stretched out his hand. And his hand stretched out and out and out. These are all in their books. You'll find it in their books. Stretched out and out and out and out to the sea. And he picked up the ship that was about to sink. And he put it back to the seaside, to the shore. That's not the strange part about it. Well, that's one of the strange parts. But they say, you know, like if you're wearing clothing, your, your clothing from here, if this was a bucket full of water, if I was to dip my hand in to get something out, what would happen to this part of my clothing? It would get wet. They say the Sufi Imam, he dipped his hand in and took the ship out and his clothing didn't even get wet. That's how amazing he was. So these are the types of stories they mention and then they say to you that we are following the methodology of the Salaf. On top of that, that the actual, the fundamental of their da'wah is completely false. The fundamental of the religion is Al-ilm qabla al-qawli wal-amal. Knowledge comes before statements and actions. As Allah said in the Quran, فَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ ثُمَّ اسْتَغْفِرْ فَعَلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكَ Know 
that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah, then seek forgiveness for your sins. So knowledge comes first, action comes second. It is not possible for somebody to try to do something to worship Allah if he doesn't know how. Somebody who hasn't got a clue how to make hajj, you can't just drop him in Makkah and say, go make hajj. It's not possible. So the same for these people now, when they haven't got a clue what the actual religion is or what aqidah is, they never learn, they never study, and then you drop them in the street and say, go give da'wah. Give da'wah to what? They haven't got any knowledge themselves to give da'wah. They mention another story, they say the jama'at tabligh when they go out, oh this was one particular individual he mentions from his experience, that when they used to go out, a group of them used to go out and they used to leave one back in the mosque. One had to stay in the mosque. And he had to stay in the mosque contemplating, in, a, in like, a, like a trance, contemplating and thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all that time he had to stay there doing that because he was their connection to Allah. And they would go out and they would have a successful da'wah. On one occasion they say that the group went out and they left one in the mosque to be the connection. And they went out and nobody was answering. They were knocking on the doors, everyone was saying, go away, get lost, we don't want to listen to you. One day it was going really bad and it wasn't working. So they came back to the masjid and they found that the one that they had left as the connection to Allah, he'd fallen asleep. So the connection had broken. The connection had broken, so that's why when they were going out, their da'a wasn't being successful that day. So there's, there's so many things to mention about the jama'at al-tabliq. It's not enough, remember. They might say to you, our intention is good. People might say to you, they're so nice. Even if they are, good intention by itself is not sufficient. Good intention, sincerity to Allah and following the sunnah. One by itself isn't enough. Even if they claim we are sincere and the people say they're so nice and they're sincere. Even if that was true, it's not enough. You need to have following of the sunnah also. And they don't. Their methodology clearly does not. And that's why the great scholar Sheikh bin Baz, Sheikh al the scholars, they refuted them. Many of the scholars. So we'll conclude upon that point. And we'll carry on next week, inshallah ta'ala. Straight after Maghrib again, I think, inshallah. So if everyone can try and come as soon as possible, once you pray, Maghrib comes straight. So we can start straight away, inshallah.